0: Welcome to Trail and Error, a look at the trail running world from the podium to the pack with your hosts Jay Grady and Tristan Stevenson. We decided to start our own trail running podcast to talk to the people we find interesting in the trail and ultra running world, to find out their highs and lows, their momentous successes and their abject failures, and to perhaps give us all a little bit of inspiration to take on some adventures and challenges of our own we'll be speaking to runners and athletes race directors and coaches sports nutritionists and doctors to get the best out of our own running and hopefully yours too we hope you enjoy the podcast and if you do please hit like and subscribe via all the normal podcast feeds but for now let's get on with the show
1: This week, Tris and I are
2: joined in the virtual studio by Jane Stevens of well Mud Crew, but Jane Stevens in her own right as well. But Jane Stevens of Mud Crew, um, Jane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us.
1: You're very welcome. Nice to see you both.
0: Yeah, good to see you too. Thanks for coming on. Actually, I just noticed we're not recording video, but there are a lot of race medals on the walls <laughs> behind you. That is insane. How many races have you competed in?
1: Oh my word. I don't know. I think I've done about, I think I've done about eighty marathons, and but most of those are ultras. I don't know. I have no idea. I just like racing.
0: <laughs> Obviously, because that is a lot of medals. I thought I had a few, but um, they are everywhere. Um, <laughs> so anyway, thanks for coming on. I mean, I always knew you as the person that hugged people as they cross the line at mud crew events, and I expect a lot of people know you that way. You, you are the the hug. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, it's such a lovely thing to be hugged by someone because you don't feel very huggable at the end of these kind of ultra races that Mug Crew puts on. You're kind of usually sleep deprived, tired, aching and certainly a bit smelly. I
1: was going to Um, say, if I can say that most of you are actually not very huggable at the end of races. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, COVID gave us a bit of a break from that. But no, we're back. We're back to hugging. (laughs) You you need wipe
2: clean kind of race outfit again now.
1: Yeah, you do. And you need to be able to sanitize your ears because that's where the sweat goes. <laughs> <laughs> Just
2: <saying. laughs> well, well, What a pleasure oh, it must God. be welcoming us all back.
1: Yeah, it's lovely welcoming everyone everyone back. It's the best part of, I think, for me, on, on race weekend or race day, it's the best part for me. Well, you see catch people
0: at probably the best moment, right? Because they yeah, you do, finished.
1: Yeah, they've finished. Um, obviously, I do see the people who haven't finished, but generally speaking... The people on the on the finish line, you know, they they've had a successful day in some form or another, and it's lovely to see everybody back. That's what we do it for, to put on a, a good event and to see you all back.
0: Is the hug because? It seems that people don't feel very huggable, and that's the sort of point of difference a USP of Mud Crew events. Because I've never been hugged at any other races, not by at least not by members of my close family, and even they didn't seem particularly keen.
1: Yeah, I don't actually know where it all began. I mean, my first Mud Crew event was the Rat in as a race director in 2015, and I think because um, I was so excited <laughs> to be a race director and I'd only been at the Rat as a competitor once before that. Um, And it was just lovely seeing everybody. And like you said, I think the emotions, particularly at the RAT, you get a lot of people who are taking part in probably one of their very first trail events, whatever the distance. And um, quite rightly, they feel very happy to be at the finish. And I think it was just something that evolved.
0: (laughs) You noticed there was hugs missing from the end of these mud events. I'm like, right, this yeah. is something that needs I didn't get, to change. Yeah, I didn't
1: get a hug when I finished the Black Rat in 2014. <laughs> and I, also po- I will also point out that I didn't get a refund when I didn't take part in the plague in 2015 because I'd become a race director. I'd already entered the plague. They waited till I'd entered before they asked me to become a race director. I'm just pointing that out.
0: <laughs> oh, you should, I'm sure you could have pushed a refund through. That's, um.
1: I don't know. Oh no, you know what they're not, like. Maybe
0: not as your first action as race director. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think so. <laughs> refund, refund all my past race entries.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and future. Yeah. How did you get involved in it?
2: How did that start?
1: Um, I knew Andy and Ferg, um, just through the running scene. Mm. And they knew that I was due to retire from the police force that year. I retired in the December of 2015. And I would sort of discussed with them just in passing um, that I would be looking to do something else, but I had no idea what it was. And I think they they saw an opportunity, you know, that if I was keen Mm. and wanted to become involved, it was just the right time. Um, They actually approached me in the June no, sorry the Easter before I retired because they wanted me on board for that rat I was still I was still serving in the police force um, for my first rat and then I retired in the December so the ARC was my first ARC 2016 was my first event after I'd retired.
0: Did, were there a lot of sort of skills that transition well from working for the police force into Race directing? I mean, obviously, like managing events is, you know, one of the – you know, big one for the police at times.
1: Yeah, what, what... I mean, certainly from my perspective, I think um, I'm quite organized. I've got good organizational skills, which I've brought with me. Um, hopefully, communication um, and maybe a bit of empathy and sympathy. I don't know. <laughs> I worked yeah. in child protection, so it was a completely – different
0: oh know, man well, this is perfect because we're all completely immature all
1: complete <laughs> children yeah yeah <laughs>
0: certainly after like six hours on your feet you do start to feel a bit like a very tired yeah. needy child yeah yeah. <laughs> just feed them jelly yeah. babies so and give them a the foil feed them blanket jelly babies and they'll yeah. be yeah.
1: so maybe that's where it all came from but yeah well, certainly organization i think um was a good thing and um occasionally negotiating skills i think
0: mm. <laughs> actually the jelly baby things which made me think actually if you think about kind of the typical food you get at an aid station it is not that dissimilar to like a child Child's party party mm. yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
1: We'd cocktail like to sausages it and sausage
0: yeah. rolls and you yeah. know sweet fizzy drinks and then mm. sweets and S- yeah. somebody
2: vomiting in the
0: corner you know
1: yeah yeah <laughs> no difference is it someone having a tantrum we're
2: seeing this it's fine <laughs> seeing it in a new light now
1: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> just going for a 30
2: hour children's party in the winter it, it'll be fine
0: maybe that's the tra- maybe that's the attraction it's uh you know running aggressive sort of yeah, yeah. Like, it gives a reason to sort of basically attend a child's party yeah and eat eat as much as you want off the buffet table <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> well i tried jelly on the grand union canal so obviously it goes back to that. oh there you go but no but no ice cream sadly
2: children have no stamina though you have to wait until you're an adult before you can do ultras yeah. egg and spoon race until you're 15
0: i'm afraid <laughs> yeah it's true um i've attempted to get my son to do ultras so many times and at nine years old he's just not capable of it he's not
1: doing it i think i need
0: he's to give it. up <laughs> or i might have i might have child protection coming around.
2: <laughs> he's going to give up soon anyway though the dnfs you're giving him jesus He's up.
0: uh, uh What? <laughs> oh. no, 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 man! Oh. You're, you're,
2: not your DNFs. His DNFs. He's not finishing your, his races. Oh right, yeah. I was thinking. Well, yeah. oh, t- t- DNF one. Just,
1: Hang on, I was going to say, DNF's is a bit of a sore point at the moment. <laughs> yeah. i mean
2: careful. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, hey! If you, if you can't <laughs> take a DNF, don't race. Exactly. Exactly. um So, um Jane, you're. History in ultras, Uh, when did you start? When was your first ultra? When did you move up from something sane into the insane?
1: Um, Well, I only started running in 2011. And as I say, I did the Black Rat in 2014, and that was my first ultra. And it was my first, apart from one training run where I got lost, it was my first step on the Cornish Coast path. I'd lived in Cornwall since I was 12 and I'd never been on the coast path. And the first foray was the Black Rat. And I thought, oh, this is quite nice. (laughs) Quite like this.
0: (laughs) For 5K. For 5K. Uh,
1: And (laughs) apart from the end, yeah, the end's horrible. Uh, No, it's not. Anyone who hasn't done it before, it's lovely. It's the best bit. should definitely Um, enter it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Gently. Um, So I did the Black Rat in 2015 and like I say, uh, 14. And like I say, I'd entered the plague for 2015. So in training for that, I did the classic quarter. Um, I think that was probably it. And then I didn't do the plague, obviously. So then I think because I didn't take part in the plague, I started looking for other events that I thought might fit the bill. Um, And that's where it all began, really. And I've still done a few road marathons in that time, but the majority of what I've done have been off-road. Ultras. And looking
2: at the meadows behind you, you've done one every other day since that point in time.
1: Yeah, pretty much. But I'm, I'm not very, I'm not very good at training, so I enter events at, and then as I training, train, yeah. So I'll look at because I'm much more. I love events. I love events with lots of people. I like going to different places, um, places I'd never, you know, I'd I'd never been to the Lake District until I started taking part in ultras. Um, so I tend to now find events that I like and use them as training runs for other yeah, things. Yeah. It's a
2: good way of doing it. I think Pro- progressing and
1: you get a medal yeah. so.
2: or, or five. <laughs> yeah, or no, clearly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and so you've, you've, if you had to give us a kind of a, a breakdown of your, what's been your favorite UK race other than a mud crew race, I'm going to, going to take that off the table straight away. What's your yeah. what's your favourite event that you've done so far?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I think probably, because it was my first visit to the Lake District, um, a race that sadly no longer takes place, which is called the St. Begas Ultra, mm. uh, which is a SBU, I'm trying to remember what it's called, the SBU 45 or 35. It's um, a, a really lovely um uh, rate right, uh, thirty-five. It is thirty-five miler mm-hmm. uh, from the centre of the Lake District back to the coast at St Bees, um, and it was just a fairly small um, family-run event. And I've done it three times, um, and it was like I say, the first time I went to the Lake District. So I think probably that one, and alongside it, will be the Grand Union Canal. Grand Union Canal is one of my favourite races. And for people that Absolutely don't know it, where it. does that go from? Uh, the Grand Union Canal starts in Birmingham and finishes in London. So it's 145 miles down the Grand Union Canal. And how much? And it's amazing. How much
2: elevation in that then?
1: Oh, there's a few locks. <laughs> <laughs> there's one bit where you go up, I think, 13 locks, which are like 13 big steps. <laughs> so it's pretty flat. I think there's another little bit where you sort of have to go off the Grand Union Canal through a diversion right. and you go up a little hill. But it's not the, it's not the, uh, it, it's just the whole ethos of the race. It's a proper old school, old fashioned ultra, um, no frills,
2: yeah.
1: huge medal, <laughs> and um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it.
2: Because the flat stuff brings How long did it take you to do me. that?
1: It took me 40 hours because I'm not very quick. But that's
0: you pretty- get 45.
1: Yeah, well, so I was. I'm just looking at my certificate i think there were 39 uh no 97 started and 52 finished and i think i was seventh lady so i was quite pleased with that Mm, that's pretty good i mean yeah
0: uh, once you get beyond 100 miles you can't it's um you know you're going to slow down quite a lot aren't you
1: (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i'm not like i say i'm no i'm no speedy runner it that that race is the only sub 2400 miler i've done so you can imagine how long the last 45 miles took
0: yeah 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 yeah.
1: um and i paul maskell had done it and he'd he'd won it the year he did it and um he gave me some really really good advice including little crib sheets that i took with me um
2: what kind of advice did he he give you
1: um well he gave me his breakdown of the event which i cut up into little um so because it's it's you have to nav- You might think, oh, you don't have to navigate. You just run, follow the canal and mm-hmm. go to London. But you have to cross bridges at certain times. You And if you don't, you end up on the wrong side of the canal and you can't keep going. So he gave me all his little crib sheets. And um, so each time I carried out an instruction, I could tear them off yeah. and had them on little laminates. And the last one, because you get to Bull's Bridge and you turn left and you've got a half marathon to the finish, um, and it just said, run like back to the finish. <laughs> and, uh, I've still got that one. I kept that one.
0: <laughs> so how much? I remember when when sorry, when sorry, he was on, he talked about the fact that you've got to cross the bridges. Mm. And if you don't, then you mess up. And I think he, he missed a couple of crossings.
1: Yeah. And yeah, turn he, back. Um, yeah. He got to one point, I think, and he had to turn back because his option was to swim. And he thought it's probably not a very good idea. <laughs> and of course, he uh, I don't know if you remember, he told you the bit about the pontoon. Yeah and the kids who'd cut the rope. Well, I sent him a video of me finishing along there because it was tarmac. It had been finished. (laughs) And it was like, it was like a length of road. It was actually not very nice at the end of all of that distance to have to run on this bit of tarmac, but I didn't get the floating platoon, which I'd done. I've done the country to capital a few times, which finishes on the same stretch. So I knew where he I knew exactly where he got floated into the river, <laughs> but by the time I did this one, it was um, it's been tarmacked, so it's like a bit of road going into London.
0: Yeah, I want to do that race at some point. I I'm doing the Thames Path um, next year. Oh yeah,
1: I've done did the Thames Path, country. which is
0: hundred miles of course. Yeah, and I guess probably quite similar in terms of scenery and terrain.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Grand Union has got. Um, much uglier bits (laughs) than the Thames Path. The Thames Path has got some lovely bits coming through Henley and all that sort of area.
2: And everybody I know that's done those, because they don't appeal to me at all because I haven't done them yet, that's all. But um, everyone I've spoken to that has done the canal races has loved them. Um,
1: Yeah, there's something really special about them, I think because they go back to being um, the first, certainly the Grand Union is one of the first ultras um in the country i think um and it's it's run by the same people that have always run it and it's just it's just really old school i did it supported so i had crew mm. um so i could go in the checkpoints for water but my crew f- brought food um, but you can do it unsupported and they they feed you all the way along the, you know along the route
0: it's pretty cool
1: yeah it's cool
0: do you ever um you're ever sad that you you can't run like the arc of attrition or like you say the plague There is there sort of cause you've done so many different races and these are increasingly becoming big ticket events on the, on the uh, UK ultra calendar.
1: Hmm.
0: I mean, there must be, you must, there must be part of you that wants to run the arc of attrition.
1: Oh yeah. I'd love to run the arc, but I, I mean, we've, I've done the plague a couple of times in training Um, I think I've done it three times in lockdown. I took part in one of the Centurion virtual events and also the Lakeland hundred virtual. Mm. So I, I tied them in, um, and the Centurion was an elevation event and obviously Lakeland hundred was a hundred miler. So I did the plague, um, for that so that I could get the elevation for one and the distance for the other. Mm. Um, I'd love to have a go at the play at the arc. I don't know whether I would finish the arc. I, I'm not sure. Um, it's really hard. <laughs> um, you- but I, I mean, we, I'll do it. And I'll do it one day in training. But I don't mind not doing it as part of the event. I, because I get so much out of, yeah. rding the events. I really don't mind. Um, and I, you know, be dreadful to DNF my own event, wouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> so I might just go and do it quietly one day. And
0: see yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Do it quietly. <laughs> and then I I'll mean, tell you. Then I'll I tell mean, there's it. sections of it where no one's going to know you're doing it because no exactly. one, you don't see anyone, you don't see anybody.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's that, and the um, the North Coast Challenge are two things I'd like to do, but I would do them. I wouldn't tell anyone until after I'd done them because <laughs> I I don't like pressure of you know, people thinking you're out doing something.
0: Yeah, yeah, I understand, yeah.
2: It's, um, if you kind of look at all the the years that the ARC's been running, because um, when we're talking about the ARC at the moment, for, for people that don't know, it's coming up in, we were just talking before the recording, Jane, and it's three, three and a half months away now. And that's kind of the biggest winter ultra, um, certainly in the, the Southwest, I'd probably say, becoming one of the biggest in the UK now. Um, there's, there's, there's more mm-hmm. established ones at the moment, but I, I definitely think the arcs finding its, uh, rightful position in terms of people that yeah. are coming along now and interested in doing it It has a, a global draw now as well. And it's a Western States ballot entry race as well, uh, which is probably not the right term, but that's what you get from it. And, um, mm-hmm. in terms of, um, people approaching you to, to, to enter the race now, are you, are you finding that the, like we said, the caliber is, is, Going through the roof for that one,
1: yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we, we get inquiries. We obviously get loads of inquiries from people wanting to know if they've qualified and you know if what they've done would set them up and etc. But we get a lot of a lot of interest um, from really really good runners who want to come and do it, um, and obviously we're on. A deferral year this year because we had to cancel Mm. it really tragically three weeks before this year, um before it was due to take place. So we've we were pretty full. Um but we've we've had more inquiries this year uh from people. It's definitely getting a name out Mm. there. Um Western States qualifier is something that will appeal to some some people. Um but I don't think it's you know it's not what everybody's looking for in a race. It's just a good old gnarly winter ultra to test people and certainly that's what people are looking for but in
2: a great progression way as well you know there's going to be people that hear the words western states that that have never heard of the western states before and go yeah what's that about then um and so you're opening opening doors for because i i think ultras are a great way to travel I, i love traveling to do races i think it's if you can combine a holiday and a race, you, you know, the family's happy, uh, everyone gets something from it, and you get to see and experience somewhere where you've maybe never been before. Um, yeah. So it's, a, it's a great way of, of, you know, having family time as well. For yeah. can be a very selfish sport. You,
1: yeah, do what I do and DNF two days early. I got four days holiday instead of two, so there we go. Are we going to come to that? <laughs> yeah, I thought you might.
2: <laughs> um, so, uh, kind of, it, obviously... Um, or for those that don't know, you, you've you just returned from Morocco where you were a competitor in the Marathon de Sable MDS. Um, tell us again, we never assume that everyone, um, knows everything about every race, so tell us a little bit about MDS and, and how you how it came on your radar and why you wanted to do it.
1: Uh-huh. Uh huh. Well, the MDS is 250 kilometers through the Sahara desert over six days. It had been on my radar, it's been on my radar for a very long, ever since I've started doing ultras, I thought, that sounds like a bit of fun, but it's not the sort of thing I would just go and do by myself. I always knew it would be an adventure that I would share with somebody else. So then, of course, you try to find somebody who's willing to go and do it with you. And I just sort of banked it, really, just put it in the background and then in 2019, I think, Andy Trudgeon, who is the third race director with a, with myself and Ferg at Mud Crew, um, he happened to just say one day, I turned 50 in 2020. I want to do the Marathon de Sable. Will you come and do it with me? Uh, and it was just that whole, yeah, I of course, because I need to, Need someone who will come and do it with me, and you've just asked me, and that's ideal. So I then came home and asked my husband if he minded if I spent quite a lot of money <laughs> and went off to the desert without him. Um, <laughs> and he was he was fine because he knew it was in he knew it was I mean, in it's the background. Such a such well. a
0: simple pitch, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs>
1: well, he didn't want to come because he doesn't run, so I don't I don't insist on him. Unless I need him to crew me on something, I don't insist on him coming with me. Um, so it was idea It was the ideal opportunity. So that would it would have been early 2019 because you you have to um, apply to enter and you have to start paying in installments for this thing. And so by the time we went to the expo in October 2019, I think we'd paid. I think we'd paid the last deposit or the last installment and then you start buying kit and finding kit and realizing that there's all sorts of stuff out there that you could probably take with you so anyway we did that what so um, what the
0: so what kit do you need for a desert race that you wouldn't have already um
1: well the mandatory kit for it is um a, a sleeping bag a pack so things that you would not normally have a venom extraction kit, which you probably wouldn't normally have, um, and a compass and a mirror. And you had to have a minimum of 2,000 calories of food a day.
2: Which you have to carry Um, with you the whole way. You
1: carry everything with you. We were really lucky. I've got some friends uh, you may know from the ARC, um, Joe and Stephen Turner, Mm -hmm. and they had both done it. Uh, I can't remember what year they did it in. And – they offered to lend us a lot of the stuff. So we borrowed their sleeping bags. We borrowed their cookers. They had all the really good lightweight equipment um, that we needed to take. Um, so we we were pretty well prepared. We were supposed to go in April 2020. So I went on an ill-fated skiing holiday to Italy in March 2020. Um, just when covid was sort of something that was being it was being talked about but not very much um we went to italy which had obviously turned out to be the one of the worst, worst hotspot for covid and yeah. Yeah. Um, we got to italy and it was all right oh no no it's fine it's fine just sanitize your hands you'll be fine um we came back from my husband and I came back from the skiing holiday on the saturday we had an email from mds cancelling the April edition of the MDS and we went into lockdown two weeks later. So it was all round about that time. So we'd gone, we'd had a really good spell of preparation and training for MDS that was then cancelled with about four or five weeks to go. Mm. Um, So it was originally postponed to September twenty twenty. It was cancelled a month before and uh, postponed to April 2021, and it was postponed with a month to go to October 2021.
0: Are you booking flights all this time? Like- well,
1: they d- we did it through um, a company called Run Ultra who do everything for you. So all we had all we had to do was turn up at Gatwick on the day they told us to turn up, which turned out to be, um, well, I don't know what day it was, 1st of October. Friday, the 1st of October is the day we finally flew. So almost two years late. It was two two years since we went to the expo that we actually flew. Um, so we flew over there, um, and uh, you turn up in the you go straight from the plane to the desert, straight to your camp, um, and you become self sufficient on the Sunday morning, which is the start of the first day of running. So you run. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then a charity uh, 10K. Well, some of them do a charity 10K on the Saturday. (laughs) I didn't, sadly, because I didn't get that far. Um, 33 kilometers Monday and Tuesday, 37 kilometers Wednesday. Uh, That was what I did. I started the long stage on the Thursday morning, which would have been a 50 miler. Um, It was, they tell you to take a sleeping bag and a down jacket to sleep in at night because it gets so cold. Mm. It didn't drop below 30 degrees and it got up to 58 degrees wow. while we were there. It Whoa. was a heat wave, unprecedented October heat wave. Um, I was, the one thing that I was really worried about before I went was running in the heat because I've had a couple of DNFs in this country. Um, due to heat where I've not been able to eat and then I've got to the point where I've not been able to drink and I've ended up with heat stroke and I've DNF'd. So I spent months getting that sorted. Um, I I know there are other companies. I happen to use precision hydration products. Had that all sorted. The one thing that I didn't suffer with in 58 degree heat was the heat. Hmm. But unfortunately, along with 50% of the... the uh, bear in mind, the last time they ran it in 2019, 11 people didn't finish the MDS. This year, it's 50% DNF. Whoa. <laughs> How many
0: is that? How many people can com- uh, compete?
1: Uh, we ha- uh, there were more that year, because the year, there were less this year because of COVID. We started with just shy of 700 runners, and it was a 50% DNF and 20% of the medical staff. Went down with norovirus. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> so I got through the first three days absolutely fine. Loved it. One of the best things I've ever done. Did it with – Andy and I ran together, ran, hiked a lot of it. It's an awful lot of walking, but that's fine. Uh, we were well in cutoffs. You know, we were sort of three and four hours ahead of cutoffs. And then we were due to start – the long stage starts on the Wednesday – and it goes into the Thursday. So the sooner you finish on the Thursday, the longer you have rest before the marathon on the Friday. So we were just going to take our time and enjoy it. And, you know, a night in the desert, the, the, the sky and everything, you know, all the things that you've heard of are completely true. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, so I was looking for, really looking forward. I knew if I could get to the start of the long stage, I could finish the event because that's what they, they reckon. If you can do the long stage, if you can get to the start line of the long stage in a good state, then you can finish. And at 5 o'clock in the morning, I woke up with DMV without going into horrible details. <laughs> and unfortunately for me, the race started three hours later and I didn't have time to recover. I simply did not have time to get over the worst bout of D- DMV I've ever had in my life. Oh, no. <laughs> so I started the day. I did start. I decided uh, with so my- So wait, what
0: brought that on? What, what, what does he? heat?
1: Um, well, there's, there's a lot of discussion about personally. I think there was a bug going around the camp uh, looking at the number of people mm. who went down with it over the week. Um, and I think with the combination of the heat, it just wiped people out completely. Um, you know, you couldn't keep, you couldn't keep fluids down. You couldn't keep food down and you've just, you know, you've already run a hundred K at that point and you've got to try and start a 50 mile long stage in 58 degrees.
2: So, um, I had ai have a, I've, 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 a, a, a- patient of mine uh, is a heart surgeon and a couple of, he's actually in this morning and I was, I was chatting about this, but um, it's when you do anything equivalent to a marathon, your immune system is completely suppressed for around eight hours afterwards. You have no resilience to any bug. Um, and so these big events, multi-day events, especially, of course, you're susceptible to picking up viruses and colds and stomach bugs and everything else way more than you ordinarily would because your your recovery systems are so low and you're in such close proximity. And no matter yeah. what, you know you know how, how easy it is for these things to spread and you're in the perfect environment for it. You know, in one hand, you're in a bubble, so you're protected. But in the other hand, you're also making yourself uh, available to these viruses day after day. So it's, it's, it's a massive stroke of luck if you get through without anything happening.
1: Yeah. And it was really strange because I think most, we were a tent of seven. Um, One who I knew, obviously Andy, who I knew well, another chap who I'd met a couple of times and four people that we didn't know until we got there. Um, And between us, we all had a degree um, of this particular bug through the week. Mm -hmm. And it was really strange because it was, it became a, question of luck if you got if you were going to get it and you could get it either towards the end of a stage or early enough in the afternoon and evening that you could then go and get medical treatment which involved being stuck on a drip Mm. i mean it was pretty extreme um you got a half hour time penalty but hey you'd take that for a drip and you could recover overnight you could then pick yourself up and you could go. And um one of the guys in our tent did exactly that. He he ended up on a drip. Um others had sickness and diarrhea, but they had it, you know, during the afternoon when they got back, so they were able to then replenish. And I I think physically it took its toll that I, I had it three hours before I was due to start the long race. But um psychologically I went into that day really, really worried about how I was going to fare. Um, a guy had died on the Tuesday oh, wow. in the sand dunes. We, oh, uh, Andy and I, saw it. Um, there was a section of 13 kilometres of sand dunes, and it. Oh, I think it's the <laughs> it was the worst day of my life. It was so hot, and we ran out of water, and we saw somebody die. Um, And so a lot of this is sort of playing on your mind. Um, 20% of the medical staff had gone down with the bug. So on the start line of the long stage, the race director started by saying, if you you are able to drop out at a checkpoint, which you think that's a really sensible thing, it's what we ask people to do. But he followed it with, because we can't guarantee your safety between checkpoints because we've we're depleted on medical crew. And I think a lot of this was playing on my mind. Um, and I, I really wasn't very well. I set off and I got to about halfway to the first checkpoint. And I thought, do you know what? This is not going to end well if I carry on. Andy and Darren, the other guy who I knew, were with me. I was risking them getting cut off because, you know, they had to get to the checkpoint in time. Mm. Uh, there was a June buggy with a doctor in it, and I made the decision. I had to make a decision. You know, it wasn't a decision I wanted to make, and it wasn't one I met li- made lightly. But I knew that I was potentially putting myself and my friends and, the, and potentially the organization at risk. Yeah. You know, you have to make these decisions sometimes. And I'd promised my husband and my daughter that I'd come home safely, and I don't know whether I would have done if I'd kept ca- – I don't – that sounds a bit dramatic. I don't think I'd have been very well if I'd carried on.
2: How much? So I made the how much of that? And, and this is in no way second guessing your your decision. By the way, I think you made the right decision. How much of it is? Um, do you think you was coloured? Your decision was coloured by the fact that you're a race director and you work through these uh, risk analyses all the time. Do you think? You saw it it's, through clearer yeah, eyes?
1: it certainly it certainly crossed my mind. What would I be saying to people? Mm. In this position, if they were at one of our events, and as ex, you know as hard as the architrician is you're still you're still not quite as vulnerable as I felt I potentially was in the middle of the Sahara. This was in the middle of nowhere yes. um when when I stopped, they put me in a truck, and it took two and a half hours to get me back to the start which was only a few kilometers away because you, it's so inaccessible on the when on the third day we were coming across a particularly exposed part of it well it was all pretty exposed but there were the odd tree every now and then you could sit under for a bit of shade and this was a section where there weren't there was nothing there was no shelter and I had a little sit down because I just wanted to cool down and you know have a have a drink and just get my and a helicopter land it was a day after the guy died and a helicopter landed next to me and and there was a doctor taking my blood pressure and another one with a you know they really were quite worried about people out there um and i just where the entry fee goes right helicopter support you you can definitely see where the entry fee goes (laughs) (laughs) it's not until you you're actually out there that you realize that it is a huge operation um and you know and you're very well looked after. There are bits of it that I, as a race director, I question. Um, you know, the guy. The day after the guy died, um, we were walking up to the start line of uh, the long stage, and they started playing another one bites the dust through the oh loudspeakers. You know, <laughs> um, and and it took it took quite um, a long time for them because you're really rationed on water. And if you ask for extra water, they'll give it to you, but you get a half hour time penalty. And if you ask for extra water twice, you get disqualified. This so is, I have that th- in my that's mind. That's interesting. As
0: well. that, that, that asking for water and, and also, like you said before, going on a drip gets you time penalties. Hmm. That's pretty brutal, I would say. I mean, those are kind of, if you need medical treatment, you need it. If yeah. you need water, you need it.
1: It yeah. doesn't seem I like
0: think- something should be rationed or, or you should be penalized for having.
1: No, I think um, from what I can see, I think the races, this was the 35th running of the MDS and they've never had this happen before. They've never had a DNF rate like this before and they've never had temperatures like this.
2: Have they ever run it at this time of year before?
1: No, it's always run in April and they thought that it would be, it would equate to April temperatures, but it didn't. Mm. It was much, much hotter. So the guy—I mean, you know—the one thing that you have to remember is that half the field did finish, and they are amazing. The people who finished this, you know, in my in my eyes, uh, they're proper heroes. They, you know, I couldn't I couldn't do it. It was too it was too hard um, with with an illness, mm. um, and they were amazing. You know, Andy finished it. He did a fantastic job, and so did five out of the seven of our tent. We were the. I'm sad I wasn't one of them, but we were the highest, um, you know, percentage of tent mates to finish, uh, which was am- amazing, which is incredible. And, you know, they talk about making friends for life, and you certainly have. They are fantastic people that I met on that event, on that is, journey. Is there a,
0: um, a sort of compa- a competitive um, element between tents then? Uh,
1: there's certainly, um, you know, how many of you got left? And you, you look at – because your tent set up every night – is exactly the same. You you turn up at the finish and it looks like the last, you know, it's big concentric circles of these in the bivouac and you're in the same place and you, you sit there and you look and you think, oh, there's only one person left in that tent opposite and there's a lot of that going right. on. There's a lot of camaraderie. I mean, you get to know people and it's great. It's it's amazing. It is an amazing experience. You see your face
2: light up when you talk about it. It's something our listeners can't see yeah. but every time you, you can see you, you're... you're Imaging, you're bringing up imagery as you as you're talking, and you can see your yeah, face lighting yeah. up. Yeah,
1: I think, yeah, I can think of some of the things, some of the things we did, some of the things we saw, some of the, not all of it good, um, but a lot of it. And the, you know, the whole the whole facilities. At, well, there no there are no facilities <laughs> at the bivouac, and they were things that I read about, and I was sort of thinking, hmm, not sure about this. so I'm, you know, but they were brilliant. It was you just embraced it and got on with it. You know the the like I say the lack of toilet facilities the you know it was it was just brilliant and lovely people lovely people all the way through do they with the
0: tent tenting policy obviously you're tented with people that you know and that you've entered with but um do they i mean for example do they tent elites together uh, so you're more likely to be running together and therefore sleeping together and and so the camaraderie things there or is it sort of at random you know in terms um, of ability level
1: it's definitely done by countries. Um, we, you know, you're with people from your own nationality. I don't know how the Moroccans did. I mean, the, the Moroccans won it and win it every year. The the two brothers who were first and I think third this year, the guy who won it has won it for the last ten years. How they do the time they do, well, they do it because they live there and they're just so used to it. Um, I. Myself and Andy were definitely going to be sharing a tent with people we didn't know. Um, And we had uh, Darren, who I'd met, had asked if he could join us. The other four, just completely random. As it turned out, they were all from the southwest, Mm -hmm. um, not from from here. They were from Taunton and Bath and that. So whether – I don't know whether the organizers look at that. We were really lucky. We had a paramedic and we had a guy, a fireman, who does – sports massage in our tent (laughs) and we were really lucky and we had a gp next door um it was a a all-girl i was the only girl in our tent and it was an all-girl tent next door um and one of them was a gp so we were really you know really fortunate Hmm. um and the gp emma who also dnf'd and i will do it together again one day Ah,
0: that was the next question you're going to go back yeah
1: yeah when i finished when i dnf'd um i was never ever ever going anywhere and i live in cornwall and i was never going to look at grain sand (laughs) for the rest of my life i never if i didn't see another sand dune it would be too soon (laughs) um we got back to the hotel and it was lovely because we had two days of all the people who dropped out. We could really post mortem it and get it out of our <clears> system and talk about all the things that we think went wrong. And because I was very conscious that I wanted that all done before the guys who finished came back, because I didn't want there to be any negativity or, or them feeling, oh, we can't celebrate in front of these guys because they. I, I I said to you know the people I was with, that's got to be. We've got to get rid of this and get it out of our Mm. system. And part of that brought me completely round to, right, I've got to go home and explain to my husband, who I'd cried down the phone to in a horrible state from a sand buggy saying, I think I'm going to die. Um, i 've now got to come home, and I know obviously i wasn 't going to die, but I was a little bit melodramatic yeah. i 've now got to come home and explain to him and my daughter, who i 'd also cried down the phone to um that I need to go back and do it again <laughs> um, and Tim said, When are you going yeah. you know so he was good i mean i 'm not going to go i 'm not going to go in march that 's or april that 's too soon but twenty twenty three or twenty twenty four I shall go back and do it again and learn from I, this is my recce I've done my recce yeah. run yeah that's, so, that's it uh, look at it yeah, yeah. I'm saving up is it difficult to get a place um we didn't have any difficulty um I think if you've got asking for a friend money yeah in case
2: my wife's listening yeah just in case my wife's listening, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my wife's listening um, it's not me he's asking for
1: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um I don't I don't think it can be that. I've heard – I have heard of people who said, oh, I tried to get into that and couldn't get in. Um, I think if you're early enough and you get your name down and get your deposit in, then, you know, you, you'd be okay. There are still places for April next year. So you could probably get in for April <laughs> next year. It's too soon for me. It's too soon for me. I, there are things I've learned about myself and about the event that I will get right um to do with food um and and provisions that i will i will get better i will do better next anything time anything
0: you change in terms of um like apparel and footwear
1: no f- clothing and footwear were spot on um and
0: how were they different to say running in cornwall
1: um, i wore uh, the new salomon ultraglide shoes um, which apart from you send them off and have uh, Velcro stitched and glued for the sand gaiters. Mm. So that's the only real difference mm. to the shoes. Um, I wore I wore a very, very lightweight, long-sleeved, white raid light running top that was perfect because it um, kept the sun off and it was nice and light and you could you could wet it and it would cool you down. So it was designed for that. Um everything else pretty normal I you know didn't a hat with one of those strange um necks see
2: I swear by those you know, legionnaire the, the, the little pepe yeah. covers on the back they are brilliant because yeah, really like, you you yeah. you get really dehydrated if the sun hits the nape of your neck it's i mean if you look at anything yeah. kind of you know beauges French legionnaire kind of thing, those caps have been around for a long time, yeah, and they really really yeah. work.
1: and it yeah, it was brilliant um we took you know really because we were lucky we borrowed stuff we took really good sleeping bags i didn't sleep in my sleeping bag probably more than for half an hour because it was so hot
2: which is good because you didn't have uh, to replace it with your dmv then
1: exactly i didn't have to replace it <laughs> if you're listening <laughs> steven and joe <laughs> i promise i didn't <laughs> um so yeah not a uh, fairly normal very very minimal lightweight kit you don't take a ch- i did take a change of socks that I put on uh, for the start of the long day because I thought that'd be a nice treat. I always like to have a treat in a race, and when you're carrying it, it has to be it has to be really well thought out. So mine was a clean pair of socks,
2: and, and you and- could just clip oh, those sure, well, to your to your day. backpack and dry them as you're running along, can't you? Spare pair, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, we had um we had a we had a nice washing line set up on one on of the, the, pack. the guy ropes, <laughs> and we would wash <laughs> stuff out at the night. But again. You were limited because you had that came out of your water rations. Huh? If you were gonna no. wash any clothing, that came out your water rations. And you had to, it wasn't until day three that they started giving us extra water for the to actually run with. Wow. So your six litres that you were given at the end of every day, that included what you needed to start the next day. But later a couple of days into the race, they started giving us an extra three litres of water.
0: Wow. Right. So you finish the day, you get given six litres and that's got to get you through to when you finish the following day.
1: No, you get so you get given six litres when you cross the finish line of each stage. Um, So that's for all your food for that evening. So your cooking your drinks um, and your first fill of water bottles for the start of the next day. Then you got one and a half litre bottle at checkpoint one. Right, yeah, checkpoint. And two one and a half litre bottles at checkpoint two. Got you. And then you got to the finish and were given another six litres to last you.
0: Right, so you're nine litres for the whole – no, ten litres for the whole day? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. 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 Okay, which is quite a lot of water, but you're running in the desert.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it sounds a lot, but I mean I know – And the other thing for me was I used poles, which I really, I like poles and they were really good. Um, But that meant I was unable to carry one of my big water bottles leaving the checkpoint because I had two poles Mm. in my hand. So it was, it got to a point where I was putting my poles away so I could carry an extra bottle, even if it was just to wet the back of my neck and things. Um, I mean, I've, I like the sun. Um, don't get me wrong. I've never been anywhere, <laughs> anywhere that hot in so my life. So what you
2: need next time is some kind of like yard of ale length bottle that you can clip onto your stick.
1: Yeah, that would be really good. Go. I'm gonna, I'm going to invent something. Well, get,
2: on, get on to Colin Bath. Colin, Colin, yeah, Colin no, will he, knock that.
1: He'd, he'd print it for he me. He
2: would. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, there are definitely things I would do differently. The pack would be different so that I could – Utilize more of it to take extra fluid. Um, this sort of thing. So there are all sorts of things I've learned.
0: Cool. Anything else that you have learned that you'll take with you next time? Um.
1: Be- definitely. There's a lot of emphasis put on because, like I said at the beginning, you have to take a minimum of two thousand calories of food with you a day. So there's all this emphasis on what weighs less, what's got the most calories in that weighs less, and loads and loads of importance is put on the evening meal that you have when you get back at the end of every stage. So I put all my effort and quite a lot of money into finding dehydrated meals that I could use for the evening. And actually, um, if I when I do it again, yeah, it's obviously important that you have a meal when you get back at the end of the day, but the important meals are the breakfast and the snacks that you take on the run, so that when you get to a checkpoint, you can get yourself in the shade and you can get some calories in to get you to the next checkpoint. Right. And I don't. For me, I didn't. I didn't get that right. I did it. It was a bit skewed in where my where my importance on the food went. Um, I know that I have trouble eating when I'm running, um, and actually. If I'd had the right snacks when I got into the cool of the check, well, it's not really cool, but it's shelter of the checkpoints, then I probably could have kept calories in better. Mm. By the time I got to the evening, it wasn't the best meal in the world. They were they were quite nice, but they, they weren't anything that I really was ending up looking forward to. And breakfast, I took porridge for breakfast and I might as well have taken putty because I couldn't eat it. It, was, uh, it just wasn't pleasant. So I need to spend more time in finding food that I know I can just eat. And it would be things like soups and salty foods and noodles, this sort of thing. And I'd have so, them for breakfast next time. So
0: are, you, are you bringing all of the food that you're going to consume over the week or are they providing some food too? They
1: provide food for the – up until you become self-sufficient on the Sunday morning – So they feed you on the Friday evening and the Saturday, but that's all. So you carry in your pack when you set off on Sunday morning, you are carrying seven days worth of food for the mornings and evenings and your your running food. And obviously your pack gets lighter as the week goes on because you're eating stuff. Mm. Um, God, I would take a
0: lot of almond butter, a lot of almond butter. Yeah,
1: yeah. I – I thankfully had bizarrely fruit pastels which got me through some really sticky moments of low blood sugar mm. um, and lots of nuts and um, things that were coated in uh, salted caramel, this sort of thing. I try- I trialed peanut M&Ms which survive 32 degrees of the Lake District. They don't su- – they don't survive 58 degrees of the Sahara, it <laughs> turned out. And they do. They have got quite a good tolerance for heat 58 degrees. The outer beyond, shell does yeah, afford them beyond. a certain
0: tolerance, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah.
1: When, you, when you open the bag and you're really looking forward to your peanut m and You've got a lump. You couldn't eat them. You could drink them, <laughs> I suppose. But You've got like hot
0: chocolate that someone's chucked peanuts into. Yeah, and you know that you know,
1: when they say about how um, there's a nice bowl of Brazil nuts on the side, and it's because the person with no teeth has sucked all the chocolate off. It was a bit like that, really. <laughs> so they didn't go down very well at all. but <laughs> And the the meals I had were were okay, but they weren't anything I ended up looking forward to. Mm.
2: Is that a big thing then? You did you feel that you needed that motivation to want to get the calories in because it was such a chore? Would that have helped having yeah, something I more think, tasty? I
1: think for me, I needed to get calories in outside of the run. So I needed to I needed to be able to replenish at the end of the day, and I needed to start with good calories at the start of the day. And do you have any else, sense just, of
0: Do you have any sense of the calorie burn that you were doing, like based on a on a like a sports watch or anything? What sort of calorie burn you were doing? Every um, day? I'm
1: not really sure because I turned the heart rate monitor off on my watch to keep. I mean, it was unnecessary as it turned out because. My watch, the one thing I did have was a brilliant watch, which was great. And for the 100K, I think I used 14% of my battery. It was amazing. Um, And um, so without the heart rate monitor, it doesn't work out. It doesn't give you an accurate calorie burn.
2: I know people will be wondering now, so which watch was that?
1: Well, I've got the Fenix 6X Pro. Oh,
0: that's what I have as well. Yeah. It's good to know. And I was
1: really pleased with it because the other thing – I've had this watch because I, I take so long to do everything. I wanted one with a good battery. That was always <laughs> my, that was my only concern. And when I was having trouble at other races and getting to the end, getting to a checkpoint with full water bottles because I hadn't been drinking, um, it was Emma, my daughter, who said, you've got this watch, it will actually tell you when to drink if you ask it to. <laughs> so it now tells me to drink every 10 minutes and I'm fine. So. <laughs> but I yeah, that's turn- the watch
0: I have. But presumably, you didn't, uh, did you have GPS turned on? But no, yeah. no, match, yeah, no mapping, cool. maybe.
1: I had, um, I wasn't using nav obviously, but yeah. I had full GPS. I because the nav's I, um, what kills it. Like if yeah. you've got
0: nav on, then they go in. Yeah. I don't know, like maybe twelve to fifteen hours. I mean, the map's just going to be beige, isn't it?
1: yeah it is yeah no, it's not very interesting it's not a very interesting track just
0: looking at a beige colored screen with yeah. an arrow in Although the middle when, of it
1: when i do look at the, the bit of strava that i did do there's this big orange patch and it's the sand dunes and i know exactly where they are and it's like, oh i can remember every bloody one of them
2: did you did you guys hear the story about the um the special forces troops that got told to stop using their watches Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: because they were revealing the location of bases.
2: Yeah, so secret bases oh. were popping up on Strava in the middle of nowhere. There were just these heat yeah. maps running in squares around patches of desert. And
1: oh, wow. Of course, yeah. it was...
2: You think they had, they had segments on Strava,
0: like secret base perimeter segment? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Possibly. Cut, yeah, this way to the secret nuclear bunker. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I was really gutted because I was going to do... I, I paused my watch at the end of every stage and resumed it the next day. So it was going to be one long track. And the reason for that was, um, I don't know if you've seen the work that Owen Delaney does, the the maps that he's done of different events. He's done them for the arc and I've got a few of his um,
2: oh yeah, have like yeah.
1: Ink, ink drawings. And we were going to ask, we were going to commission him to do one for us for the MDS. So I was, it was all planned. I was going to have, going to give him the road book, which would have all the features. And then I was going to give him my Strava and it would just be this one long 250 kilometer route and it's only 100 kilometers long so i haven't i can't do that so again i've got to go back so i can get your mission owen to do my map
2: <laughs> <laughs> it so got another reason it's got to be a why, isn't there that's powerful
1: it's got to be there has got to be
2: <laughs> so when you i we spoke to ferg way back on episode two which seems a long time ago now but um one of the things i asked him was um when you're doing events, how how much of your race director um, innovation head have you got on? What what are you looking for? You must be looking for oh, that's a good idea. Let's take that. I mean, obviously, there's going to be some. That's a bad idea. I, I'd do it differently. But are there? Uh, when you're doing any of your events, uh, how much of your eye is on the the improvement of your own mud crew races?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. We I think um, all three of us when we're at events, we're looking at. Things that work and things that don't work. Um, Certainly, the the um, trays that we use for the kit check. I think Ferg picked that up at a race in. Don't know that it wasn't in Turkey. It was somewhere abroad, Um, and so he brought that one back. That was a really good idea. Um, So yeah, I think I think all of us are doing that all the time. Um, MDS. There were definitely more things about the personality of the rd that i was looking at oh, okay differently yeah. um uh and more because i mean you can't really equate you know i'm not going to make you all have brown paper bags to poo in if you do the rat or the <laughs> plague or the arc which they do at the mds there are certain certain things that i wouldn't make you all do um but i was carry more, it with you
0: once you've done it
1: no no you put it in a dustbin if you can avoid the flies, you can understand why maybe there were a few germs going around. Um, <laughs> it was a, it was quite difficult to be hygienic, but there was it was more about um, he's quite a character, the R D of the, and so he should be. You know, he's been all he he did this race. He just set off one day 35 years ago across the Sahara, did the distance, and thought there's a race to be had here, and that's how he. Is he see Morocco? It. No, he's French. Okay. Um, but there were things, I, I think, there were things that, and it's only my opinion, it's not, you know, this isn't what um, anyone else has said other than me. There are things that I think caught him out and he didn't know, he didn't have a plan B. Um, and a lot of it, he he comes over as a really arrogant guy um you know you've entered the hardest foot race in the world what do you expect get on with it and there was a little bit of that's true yeah <laughs> but there was also for yeah. me there was if i was the rd here i would be thinking there's gonna be a lot of anxiety you know we've just lost a guy a 50 year old guy who will have gone through all the same medical checks that we went through you have to take an ecg trace with you to the um registration of this event that was done within the month prior wow. um you know there's a lot of a lot of hoops to jump through. He will have done that. he will have had a clean bill of health. he's fifty years of age, and he dropped dead in the sand dunes and i I think the anxiety that was going around a lot of people about you know it, you actually think this is only a race at the end of the day. I want to go home safely and it plays on your mind and I think as an r d there's a responsibility to to alleviate that somehow, even if it's.
2: Yeah, you need to shoulder the burden of that anxiety, do. don't you?
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the, the time um, zone in Morocco is the same as it is here, but there was a bivouac time that was a different time scale. So he got, now the rumor is, so he got good light for his ph- photography. Mm. So we were at a different time scale. You were out, you were out in the heat of the day longer than you needed to be because the time had been changed. Right. Whereas actually I think once that happened there should have been a a look at shall we start this race early in the morning while it's a little bit cool. You you get up in the morning at five o'clock to get yourself ready for the race and everybody was like, oh, wouldn't it be lovely to start now? It's lovely. It's nice and cool and we could get some of the miles done before the heat of the day. Um, but it was no use starting at either half a state or 9 o'clock, which was actually
0: it's already cooking 9 by or 10 yeah. o'clock
1: and it's starting to cook and you're going into the cooking of the day. But and then I it's think, designed
0: to make it harder, right? I mean, it's, it's supposed yeah, to be yeah. tough, you know? I think,
1: I think they do that. And normally, under normal circumstances, it works really well. So a heat if it, wave if only, in October. Yeah, if you get yeah. a heat wave in October, it isn't going to work. You know, it's 50, 50. I think there's a rumor it hits 60 at one point. Christ and it was just so hot (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. 60 that's insane i remember i was in death valley once and i think the temperature was like 52 yeah and um yeah i wouldn't want to be moving around a lot in that kind of heat in an air-conditioned car very close by all times you do and of
1: course you're not you're not really sweating or you don't know you're sweating because it's evaporating so you can't monitor what's happening to you either but um Oh you no, know. it was an experience I loved it I loved it I'm not gonna I don't want to take anything away from it and I don't want to take anything away from the guys who finished because it yeah. was amazing
0: yeah it sounds like that was a serious effort to get through that one
1: yeah yeah
0: um what else what between now and the next MDS that you enter what else have you got booked in race wise anything else coming uh,
1: up well I'm doing the Thames trot next weekend which I only entered yesterday I'd always I know the race director and I'd said, I can't enter until I go out from MDS because I need to know what state my feet are in. Because obviously, running in the desert, my biggest worry was going to be my feet. I have not got one blister, not one single blister. Um, so I've entered the Thames Trot for next Saturday just to – I need to go and do a race really and get, get – back on the horse. <laughs> yeah. yeah, get back on the horse. And then I've got um, South Downs Way 50, Lakeland 50 next year so far. There's a possibility, my husband's at work and I'll make sure he doesn't listen to this. There's a possibility (laughs) that I might go to the, um, Ian Corliss does a, uh, MDS training camp in Lanzarote in January Mm. and there's a few places on that. So I'm, I might look at that.
2: It's, um, (laughs) so we are three and a half months out from Archivitian. Are you, Mm -hmm. our our friend Vasos Alexander is coming along. To race uh are you allowed to tell us maybe some of the big names to wet the wet the appetites
1: um probably not at the moment <laughs> <laughs> we've got a uh, we've got um some people who have entered that we are still hoping will definitely come mm. if you know what i mean they've entered but they're Sort of maybe a little bit on standby, yeah. Because of and professional athletes have different
2: um, agendas to us and as normal folk.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah, and also there's, you know, we're still looking at maybe some travel restrictions for some people. Okay. Um, hopefully, hopefully less of that. You know, that seems to be at the moment it's improving. We just because of the arc and where it is, if you're gonna have, if you're gonna have any changes to the rules with covid they're going to happen over the winter Mm. so um you know it's what happened to us last year i I don't think there's any suggestion that it's going to be as drastic as that um as what happened just after christmas just gone um but we're just sort of keeping an eye on that and keeping making sure that nothing interferes with um with people traveling Mm. um but where all systems go you know everything all the checkpoints are going to be we're, – we're, we're going on a normal arc year. That's what we have to um, bank on, yeah. and then we we will make adjustments if we need to.
2: Mm, so watch uh, watch, yeah, watch the Mud Crew awesome social media feeds if you want to kind of get the, the updates of what's going on.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think over the next few weeks, uh, Ferg will get back from Croatia. We'll get back into – our regular weekly meetings which have had to go you know we've not been here for the last two or three weeks um we'll get back into that and we'll um you know planning starts for the arc the week after it finishes so we've had two years of planning for this one so it should be good shouldn't it? so the weather should be really bad <laughs> yeah bad weather good food yeah
2: <laughs> and remember if you have a question email it to the mud crew team don't stick it on social media
1: yeah that is a really good point actually and it isn't we get questions on social media, and I'm sure people think that we're ignoring them, but they just get lost. Mm. If you if any emails come through to the entries email address, we know they'll be monitored because we do, you know, have jobs. Unfortunately, to <laughs> and we miss things.
2: <laughs> Busy people running through deserts and things as well. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, um, Jane, that was fantastic. Thank you so much. We've been waiting to have you on for a while now. We spoke to you a long time ago and um, yeah, we've been waiting to get you on the show. So um we
0: we are waiting for you to go to Morocco and come back. I
1: know, I'm so sorry. I've had... What? I mean, you could need to have Andy on to fill in the last few days of the event.
0: <laughs> no, I know we'll, well we will. Yeah, have him on, but I think in any case, um even though it didn't go the way you thought it was going to, it's a very good summary of the of what it feels like to compete in that race. Um and um doesn't always go right. That's the thing. It's trail and error, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's, it's
1: Yeah, we, exactly. Like, exactly. We learn. If it went right for everyone, then, you know, there'd be no point with there you just uh, it's just exactly. one of those things, but
2: Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, well done anyway. It's a, a pretty epic journey that you took regardless of the result. Um, and I think everyone will probably agree with me that you did amazingly well anyway. So uh, even though you probably don't yeah. think you do yourself sometimes, you know, <laughs> you've got to take away the yeah. positive, do So,
1: No, I will. I will. It's a good recce. Good recce for next time.
2: Exactly right well thank you so much and and no
1: problem nice to speak to you both
2: thank you to everyone for listening if you can hit like and subscribe and everything else on there to help support the the podcast share it uh, share Share it it. yes share it everywhere and uh, (laughs) send it to your gran um thank you very much and we'll see you again on the next uh, we'll hear from you again or you'll hear from us at least in the next episode of trail and error
0: thank you for listening to this episode of the trail and error podcast if you enjoyed it don't forget to like subscribe and most important of all share it with your friends and your family also if you have any guest suggestions or suggestions for features that you would like to see on the trail and error podcast please get in touch with us via our social media channels at trail underscore and underscore error underscore uk It makes more sense when it's written down, I promise you. Oh, and we're on Facebook too. See you next time. Thanks for listening.